As we gather this Good Friday, I'm reminded that our theme across the church this Easter has been passion led us here. Passion led us here. But I wonder what you think of when I say passion. When I say passion, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I wonder when we speak to those who maybe have never had the life-altering encounter that so many of us have had with Jesus, if they might have a very different thing in mind when I say passion. Maybe for them it's romance and desire. Maybe for so many it's, if I say passion, they think of sports fans. (laughs) Maybe when I say passion, some think of protests or music or some other thing, but... It was interesting to me that when I went to the dictionary for a definition of passion, I didn't find perhaps what you might expect to find in a secular dictionary. In fact, I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the team put up on the screen the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of passion. What's interesting to me is you have to get all the way down to points four and five before you would find the things you would expect to find in the dictionary, like intense driving feelings or conviction or ardent affection, a strong liking, desire, or devotion for some activity, object, or concept. But all the way up there at number one, the very first definition that the dictionary offers us is the sufferings of Christ between the night of the Last Supper and his death. Isn't that interesting? In other words, Jesus is the very definition of passion. When I think about his suffering, when I think about what we remember on a day like this, you know, I remember, and I'm stirred again to remember that his passion is what fuels our own and that ours really pale in compassion, in comparison, I should say, to the passion of Christ. You know, it says in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 verses 6 to 9, it says, when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there's still so much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. I want to repeat verse 8 again for a moment, because that's what struck me when I thought about passion It says here in the the Passion Translation that I'm reading from, it says in verse 8, Christ proved God's passionate love for us 
by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Passion, you want to talk about passion led us here? Well, passion led Jesus to the cross. Passion led Jesus to the cross to die in our place, to pay the price for our sins. And he did all that while we were still lost, while our backs were still turned, before we ever turned to him, acknowledged him, loved or honored him. Passion led Jesus to the cross. He loves you with a passion. It's a great tragedy that so many sort of portrayals of Jesus make him seem almost insipid, <laughs> beige, <laughs> weak, and yet he was a man of passion. It was his great love, it was his passion that held him to the cross more than any nails ever could. And no one took Jesus' life. I think it's an important distinction to understand that no one took his life. Jesus gave his life. And there's all the world of difference. He gave his life. And he gave it willingly. And he gave it willingly because of his great and passionate love for us. Bill Crowder, uh, in the, pa the Path of His Passion, said this. He said, death was not Jesus' penalty. It was his destiny. It was not his lot in life. It was his mission. It was not his unavoidable fate. It was his purpose statement for coming to earth that first Christmas, born to die. It was Jesus' very mission. So it's important to remember, as we're reminded again in our, you know, in almost a somber spirit, we honor his sacrifice tonight. It's important for us to remember that he chose to die. He chose to die. In fact, he didn't just choose to die in the very moment that he faced death, but he'd long since made his choice. In fact, he'd predicted his suffering and his death publicly on more than one occasion. Along with his resurrection, one example is found in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, verse 32 to 34 says, While they were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed him were afraid, it says again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He wanted to try and prepare their hearts. Although if you know the story, despite all of the very specific forewarnings that Jesus gave them, you know, they were clouded with despair and disappointment when, in fact, he did die on the cross. But he told them again what was going to happen. Verse 33 says, We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Isn't it eerie? Isn't it eerie how precise those phrases are that Jesus uses? And it reminds us that he knew exactly what was coming. And yet for our sake, he surrendered himself anyway, knowing full well the price that he would pay. In fact, he spoke so often and so specifically of his death and resurrection 
that even the religious leaders, who in some senses saw themselves as enemies of Jesus and his message, who actually set out to have him crucified, even they knew his predictions. This wasn't some sort of behind closed doors, inner circle thing that Jesus had shared. No, even, even his so-called enemies knew of it. In fact, they made great pains to ensure that when he was put in the grave, they would set a guard around his tomb to ensure that the disciples wouldn't steal his body. They had at least enough faith to, to believe there might be some kind of a ruse where he could fake his resurrection. <laughs> but hell and death could not hold him down. So there sure wasn't any way any Roman soldiers were going to do any good if hell and death themselves could not hold him down. See, it's the knowledge that Resurrection Sunday is coming that makes Good Friday hopeful. I don't know about you, I sometimes feel a tension in the emotions of a day like this. But there's life that's coming from death. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a Good Friday at all. If Sunday wasn't coming, amen? What I find, though, is it's all too easy to want to fast forward, though, in Good Friday to the happy ending. We have the joy, we have the benefit to look back with the, with the advantage of 2020 hindsight. We know the end from the beginning. We know the resolution we're the beneficiaries of the resolution. And so we experience Good Friday differently from those who experienced it firsthand. It's easy to want to fast forward, to maybe not embrace the sorrow of Good Friday, even when we know how it turns out, because we know that the joy of Sunday is coming. Some part of me wants to resolve the tension of the grave. Do you feel that way? To skip ahead, because I know that death could not hold him down. And yet, he did die. At least for a few days. I was reading the Bible with my boys this afternoon, and we read the story of the, the crucifixion. And uh, we were talking about the story, and, and Sam, who's five, said, Jesus didn't die. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. He did die. And then Sam said, yeah, but he came back. <laughs> And isn't that the point? He did die. Jesus didn't cheat death. He conquered death. That's why he's the Savior. You see, as we prepared these services, we were thinking about songs to sing on Good Friday. And you know what? One thing that struck me is how many songs that speak about the cross also speak about the empty tomb. How many that speak about his death speak about his resurrection. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they go hand in hand. It's the good news is his death and resurrection. But as I pondered that a little, I thought, I wonder why there seem to be so few songs that speak only about the cross. And I wondered, I just wondered, if maybe in the hearts of many songwriters like there is in mine, there's a discomfort with not resolving that tension for us, with just being present to that pain, to that grief, to the loss, and to the price that he paid. But without death, there's no resurrection. Without the price that he paid, there's no freedom for you and I. In fact, Gregory Coles wrote a Good Friday prayer. I'm going to read an excerpt from, from his prayer. He said, Today, God, I ask that you would teach me to mourn. Don't let me rush to Easter Sunday too quickly. Give me grace to linger here in the place where sorrow meets redemption. 
Make your death to me as real as your resurrection. Keep me always near the cross. As I wait at the foot of the cross, God, reveal to me again the costliness of my sin. Don't let me live in an imaginary world where Easter's happy ending makes my selfishness irrelevant. Remind me that your all-consuming grace came at the highest price. Forgive me for the times when I've lived as if sin is no big deal, as if Good Friday never really happened. You know, as many of you know, my mom passed away last November. People were amazing. They loved us and our family so well. It was a time of grief, uh, and, uh, and it still is. And, uh, but people would say things, uh, trying to help. They'd say things like, well, she's in a better place now. Or they'd say, uh, well, and they quote the scripture that says, we don't grieve, you know, as those who have no hope. And of course, they're right, aren't they? When you say that, you're right. Because she is in a better place. And we do have eternity. <laughs> and we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And yet we do grieve. And that's what I experienced in those moments when people wrestled with that pain, wrestled with that grief as I was. And I tried to process, what's the right place for me to be right now? Because I actually think it's okay to just grieve. I think it's okay to be present in this moment. I think it's okay to feel that pain all the while, never letting go of hope and redemption and eternity. I kind of think the same about Good Friday in some ways. It's good for us to be reminded of the price that Jesus paid. It's good for us to remember the burden that he bore and to feel that for a moment amongst all of our sophisticated 21st century, oftentimes insulated and comforted kind of living. It's good for us to be present for a moment to the weight that Jesus bore and to make it personal, to remember that he bore it for us, to remember it was our sin or to remember it was my sin that Jesus was there for, his passion, his suffering that makes our redemption so precious, so priceless. Because if we minimize his death, then we also minimize his resurrection. It's in recognizing the price that he paid that I'm filled again with thanksgiving. And I'm filled again with awe. I remember again the majesty of the Savior, and I put again away from me any self-righteousness, <laughs> any lack of awareness and understanding that I needed him so desperately. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2 to 3, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Listen, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy, for the joy. Do you know what the joy was, church, that was set before him? The joy was our salvation. The joy was that creation could be restored back to the Father, the joy, sons and daughters, that for Him, brothers and sisters, what an amazing thing, that we would be restored to right, standing with God. For that joy, He endured the cross, 
And then it says, says at the end, if we do that, we can consider him. We won't grow weary and lose heart. In other words, we can run our race because Jesus ran his. All the way to the cross, Jesus ran his. Passion led Jesus to the cross. And in turn, his passion led us here. His passion, his suffering, his love led us here. Led us to salvation. Led us to his house. Leads us to the world. Amen? Amen. To what he loved. Said in Luke 23, in an account of the crucifixion, verse 32, it says, Two other men, both of them criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? That in his agony, in his unjustified death, that in that very moment of his suffering and anguish for us, He forgives the very ones who crucify him. That's our Savior. Amen. In a moment, we're actually going to receive communion together this Good Friday. In fact, I'm going to invite the hosts begin to come right now. And I'm going to have the worship team come and join me too. The hosts are going to pass down each row the communion elements. And I encourage you to pass the tray and... uh, Why don't you hold in your hands as those come? Why don't you hold in your hands the bread and the cup that remind us of his body and his blood? And if you're visiting with us today, you know, um, know, we practice what we call open communion as a church. In other words, you don't have to be a part of our church to join us. If you want to join us in honoring Jesus, we'd love you to do that. If you're uncomfortable, then you're just more than welcome to let the tray pass by. But why don't you take those? I'm going to read a a scripture, and in a a moment we're going to pray together and remember in a very tangible way, as Jesus commanded us, the price that he paid for us. You see, centuries before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah had foretold the the passion of the Christ. Mm -hmm. His suffering for us, his resurrection. In fact, I'm going to read in Isaiah 53 from the message translation says he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was led off. David. Did anyone really know what was happening? David. He died Quick. without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked. David. Threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul, said one word that wasn't Mm -hmm. true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that 
terrible travail of the soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad that he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burdens of their sins. And therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest of honors, because he looked death in the face mm -hmm. and didn't Too flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all okay. the black sheep. Guys, you are all muted. That's and the point isn't thing. just that he was beaten, church. Sadly, so down through history, so many have been beaten. Nor just that he was tortured, many that too. And the point isn't just that he died. Many have died. David. The point is Stop that he is the God of all creation. And yet he took all of that for us in our place because he loved us loves us with a passion god was beaten god was tortured god died for me for you he paid the price that we deserved god that could have crushed his tormentors without lifting a finger suffered it all a lamb to the slaughter and yet the lion of judah for us I want you to think about what's in your hand at this moment. He said we could do this in remembrance of him. His body, beaten, broken, tortured for us. His blood, precious poured out on that tree, on that hill for us. Thank you, Jesus.